Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today, Larry's brought in a special guest, and that is Doug Hafer. Doug has over 20 years experience in working with the, in the retirement plan industry. Doug began in the industry as an investment advisor, assisting plan sponsors with the selection of service providers, fiduciary best practices, ongoing plan maintenance, and educating plan participants. As his career evolved, Doug transitioned to educating investment advisors on those same best practices and works with investment advisors in building a successful retirement plan practice. Known for his collaborative approach, Doug uses his expertise to help investment advisors with plan design, plan analysis, and vendor selection. As a provider and vendor specialist, he has been instrumental in helping colleagues solve client challenges through easy-to-understand solutions. And Larry and Doug have worked together on numerous 401ks, and I know today they're going to be talking about TPAs. So good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thank you, Eric. You bet. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. So why don't we why don't we jump right, you know, jump right in. You know, we have a lot of 401k plans and you know, sometimes, you know, people that even have 401k plans don't understand the the different parts of them um, and what's required. Besides an investment advisor, a plan does need a uh, TPA, a um, third-party administrator. So, uh, so that for that reason, we have Doug here. So, Doug, why don't we just start really at the basics? And you know, why don't you explain to the audience what is a TPA? Yeah, TPA is a. We actually, it's our industry is full of acronyms. So, there's an acronym for just about everything. Uh, TPA stands for third-party administrator. There's a number of different types of uh, TPAs. There's some that are focused on the healthcare. Uh, in this situation, uh, we are a, a third-party administrator for qualified retirement plans. So 401k plans, profit sharing plans, uh, defined benefit, cash balance, money purchase, uh, anything qualified um, in retirement plan marketplace, um, a TPA would be responsible for the design, uh, the legal plan documents, uh, the annual compliance that's required for plans, as well as any government reporting that's required for uh, retirement plans each year, which is the most common one is the Form 5500. So the TPA takes the role of really making sure that the plan um, operates within all the IRS and Department of uh, Labor regulations that uh, a qualified plan is subject to. And are the TPAs required to be licensed? They are not required to be licensed, ironically. Investment advisors um, are required to be a, a licensed uh, to, because they, have, they are associated with the uh, um, investment component. Now, there are some TPAs that are, are producing TPAs, um, which just means that not only are they providing compliance to government reporting services, but they're also selling retirement plans from an investment perspective uh, and being compensated for advisory services. In that situation, uh, that firm would have to be licensed as an investment advisor. One thing I did want to point out, even though they're not required to be licensed, so like a record keeper, the other component within a qualified plan, there's really three components. Um, there's one is record keeping. A record keeper is one that tracks uh, the participant participant data. Uh, they usually provide the, provide the interface for the plan participant to log in, look at their account for all inquiries, transactions, move their investments. 
the rec keeper also provides the participant statements uh, um, to the participants on a quarterly basis or maybe on demand through through the website. So record keepers, they do have some um, requirements uh, that they have to um, go through. Uh, TPA does not. There's really only one firm-wide certification that a TPA can, can obtain, and it's a certification, certification of Service Provider Excellence by the Center of Fiduciary Excellence. It's called a CFEX certification. Uh, some firms will voluntarily go through that process. Uh, some will not. The fees are not high to go through that process, but you really have to have the culture and have documented processes and continually review those in order to satisfy that CFEX certification on an annual basis. So even though it's not a requirement uh, and it's not a license, it is basically an accreditation um, for a TPA to go through. Okay, great. You, you mentioned record keeper. So we, we've kind of got the three parts here, you know, a TPA, an investment advisor, and that's what Hello Wealth Management does, TPA firm like, your, like yours, and a record keeper. So why don't we jump into, you know, talking about, you know, kind of a difference when, of those three between a bundled service provider and unbundled service provider. Yeah, so <clears throat> the way this industry is structured, um, some service providers are what is referenced as a bundled provider, meaning that they provide all record-keeping functions, uh, going to provide all administration, so the plan documents, the compliance, and the government reporting, as well as, you know, they could even be the custodian um, have a, uh, of the, those assets. So they're bundled in the sense that a plan sponsor can go there and receive all services from, quote-unquote, one service provider. Other, the other option I have is an unbundled solution, whereas you unbundle those parts. So you have a record-keeping service provider who just focuses on the record-keeping of those um, participant assets. That's where the plan sponsor would log in, upload their contributions to the record-keeping platform, and the record-keeper would work directly with the custodian to invest those assets on behalf of the participants. The TPA, then, is the one that is really um, focused on the plan design compliance plan document of the of the plan and the key piece to this is, you know why would you bundle versus unbundled well in, in a sense it really comes down to being a specialist uh, a lot of bundle providers they can provide administration and record keeping but it's not their core competency it's not their focus they will accommodate it and they will do it but they don't necessarily are going to go above and beyond to make sure that you have the proper design for your plan. Not only initially when you're adopting the plan, but are they looking at the design on an ongoing basis each year to make sure that the plan is still operating as efficient as they want it to? Is it still meet, allowing uh, the plan sponsor to meet their goals, whether it be savings, whether it be a budget, uh, whether it's recruit and retain employees? Are they looking that on each year uh, to make sure that plan continues to meet their needs? Generally, a bundle provider are going to be a situation where it's kind of data in, data out. They can provide government reporting. They can do the 5,500. They can do the compliance testing, but they're just going to do it based on what the information they get. Where a TPA, a standalone TPA, it's what they do. It's all they do. They don't do record keeping. Uh, they don't do investment advisory services. They're going to focus strictly on the compliance and government reporting of that plan. So you're getting a specialist, basically. Yeah, and, you know, with technology the way it is today, much different than it was with, with qualified plans a long time ago, all the parties, you know, are talking to each other. So you, you're getting a specialist, you know, a good unbundled plan, you're getting a specialist in each area of uh, specialty, and they're all talking together. So the, the advantage is a long time ago, people said bundled 
plan. Everybody's in, in one house. Everyone's talking together. Not necessarily the same as it is today, correct? Yeah. So one of the differentiators there, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Larry, is it was like, well, we just want one person to call, right? And the downside of that, and the bundle provider, you're probably going to get an 800 number or you're going to get a number to call. But what you call in, you're calling into a call center. And they're probably not going to be able to answer your question right away and or they're going to transfer you to a different department, right? So they can get you the answer. It may not be as timely as you'd want it to be. Most, if they're a quality TPA, um, they're saying, call us for all, all purposes. You know, let us be your main contact. You don't have to call the record keeper. You don't have to call the advisor necessarily. Now, the advisor is generally going to be the face of the plan. But when you have a question about compliance or even record keeping, the key is the quality TPA. So the way we're structured is every plan is, uh, is assigned a consultant, a team leader, and a partner. And that consultant is really responsible for all aspects of the plan outside of distributions and plan documents. The key to that is that that consultant does the actual work on the plan on an annual basis. They're doing the consulting. They're doing the compliance. They're doing the government reporting. So when you have that main point of contact, when a plan sponsor or an advisor has a question, they're calling the TPA, but they're calling their contact that actually works on the plan. So they get, the, they get, they get someone that has knowledge of their plan on the phone right away uh, so they can answer questions um, timely and obviously accurately because they're going to be specialists in what they do uh, and their knowledge of that plan. So you can argue that we can, I can go to a bundle provider. I have one firm that I can call, but you're not necessarily going to be speaking to the person that can answer your question. Whereas in a TPA world, if you have a specialist and a dedicated consultant, you're going to get that answer. Great. You know, you, know, you started talking about the value. You know, what, what, what I find a lot of times when you're talking to business owners or HR people, they don't understand that there, you know, there is plan design on a qualified plan. They probably think 401k is a 401k. We, we need a TPA because we need to do the administration. And they don't know what they don't know. So... You know, so can you, you can talk a little bit of, m- more about how TPAs provide value in plan design? Yeah. Yeah, Larry. So there's a lot of different ways you can design a qualified plan. There's a lot of different restrictions within a, a 401k plan that can prohibit you from doing things or allow you to do things de- depending on how the plan is established up front. There's certain required compliance tests in a 401k plan. I'm not going to dig into the weeds uh, on them right now, but those can directly impact how the owners of a company and or how they compensated employees can utilize that plan to save for retirement. And so a lot of the times what will happen is you may have a small organization, uh, a business owner, five employees. I need, a, I, need a, I need a 401k plan. I want to start saving for retirement. So they just may go contact someone say, I need a 401k plan called a bundle provider, whoever it may be. So they give them a 401k plan. Well, at the end of the year, the owner contributes, you know, up to the maximum, 19000 for 2019. They give them their census at the end of the year. The other employees, one or two may or may or not contribute. But at the end of the year, the, 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 the compliance tests come back and they're going to say, hey, Mr. Business Owner, or Mrs. Business Owner, uh, you failed uh, an ADP test, an average deferral percentage test. And as a result, you need to either take out $17,000 of your deferral, or you need to make a substantial employer contribution on behalf of your employees. That's a tough message to a business owner that says, I put this in retirement plan in so that I could save for retirement, and I basically have to take all my money out. So the key is, when you go and implement a plan, if you are taking the time, you're working with an advisor who is partnered with a quality TPA, the first thing I do is say, we understand that you want a retirement plan. 
the key thing that we want to do is look at what, what your objectives are, what's your budget, how much do you want to save, um, how much do you want to put in for your employees. Uh, and then we can say, we go back to the drawing board and we can look at different profit sharing formulas. We can look at different safe harbor formulas, which I can talk to in a minute. Um, so they'll make sure that whatever that budget is that that plan sponsor has put together for them for themselves and the company, we can design the plan to make sure that that budget is hit um, well, initially as well as ongoing. Yeah, and you, you make you know make a point. You're asking questions to the business owner or the HR person, you know, on how to design the plan, or if there's an existing plan, asking the questions about what they're trying to, you know, what they're trying to accomplish so the plan can be designed to best meet the needs of that corporation, correct? Yeah, I mean, just for example, there's four different types of profit-sharing contributions or a non-elective contribution. That's a contribution that the company would put on in on behalf of the eligible participants. And there's four different basic designs. There's a pro-rata design, which is a, whatever percentage you put in for one person, you got to put the same percentage in for everyone else, regardless of age or income. The other is an integrated uh, formula, which just integrates that contribution with Social Security. So for uh, employees earning above the Social Security taxable wage base, you can put an additional 5.7% um, um, contribution on those earnings that are above that Social Security taxable wage base. There's age-weighted, which is exactly what it says. You just weight that contribution based on age. And then the fourth one is very popular, especially in small companies. It's called new comparability or cross-tested. And that allows you to put people in different rate groups and it takes their age and their income into consideration to determine how much you need to give them in order to pass any discrimination testing. And the reason I just bring that up is that depending on what formula you use from one to the other, um, you, it can be substantial contributions one way or the other, either on behalf of the key employees or owners of the company or on behalf of the, of the, the non-owners. And so depending on the design and the objectives of that business owner, just choosing the right profit sharing formula can have a substantial impact on your budget for the plan and or making sure that your contributions are going to the key or, or benefit the people that you want to, to receive a contribution. Right. So maybe tens be, of thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say it can end up being, you know, tens of thousands of dollars differences on a, on a correct plan, you know, plan design. Um, and then above and beyond, you know, besides, you know, a, a 401k with those or a profit sharing plan with those four different designs, you know, there may be situations where, you know, business owner can, wants to put away more money and there are other plans out there such as cash balance plans and defied benefit plans. Do you want to speak to them for, for a minute? So first of all, there's been a lot of information news that defined benefit plans are dead. You know, they're more of the historic pension, historical pension plans that companies had long-term where, hey, if you worked at this company for X amount of years, they're going to pay you a percentage of your salary based on a formula starting at age 62 or 65 whenever you retire, and they're going to pay you a, you know, life, life of, a, life, a life stream of income or uh, some type of a, a benefit. And a lot of those for the large organizations have gone away. So what has become popular is, is cash balance plans, which is a, is a type of uh, defined benefit plan. It is a defined benefit plan. But unlike paying you a stream of income in the future, that actual participant has a cash balance that they can, they can look at, just like they have a 401k plan or a profit sharing plan. So they can see their benefit. Now, unlike a 401k profit sharing plan where the majority of them are going to be participant directed, where the participant actually logs in and I'm going to be an aggressive investor or a conservative investor and they're going to allocate their monies. The cash balance plan is trustee directed, whereas the plan sponsor is really and or their advisor are responsible for 
the investment of those funds because it's it is still a defined benefit plan in the sense that at the end of the day they have a liability that they have to pay to each participant that's in that plan at retirement time and so they want to manage those assets to make sure that they can pay that liability at a future date but the difference between a 401k profit sharing plan and a defined benefit plan really becomes the, the contribution limits for example, 401k profit sharing uh, plan uh, limits $56,000, uh, but in a cash balance plan, it can be up into the hundreds of $200,000 um, per participant or for that business owner, I guess. Um, generally, you're not going to put that in for, for a non-owner employee, but you can do substantial additional contributions. So if you have a business owner uh, or a consultant, whoever it is, that's maxing out their 401k profit sharing plan, and they still have a budget to do additional contributions, that's when you can layer on some type of a defined benefit or cash balance plan. It is a separate plan uh, in most situations, um, unless it's a solo K or a solo defined benefit plan covering just business owners. The plans are going to be tested together to pass you know, necessary compliance tests, but they are two separate and distinct plans and they operate um, standalone from each other. Uh, yeah. So again, it gets back to, you know, discussing, you know, with the owners, with the company, you know, what, what is going to work for them? What, what's going to be able to, uh, what do they want to accomplish and trying to find out and trying to develop the, the right plans that will work. Um, why don't we shift gears? We talked a little bit about, about ADP testing a little bit, but why don't we, we talk about some of the other compliance requirement compliance requirements in a 401k plan. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of requirements. I mean, the big ones, uh, you know, from an operational standpoint, um, one is that the average benefit, average deferral percentage, and average contribution percentage test, which just tests the contributions that go into the plan to make sure they're not um, in favor of the highly compensated employees or business owners. The IRS is working very hard to make sure that these plans are not discriminatory in favor of business owners or highly compensated employees. So that's one test. Another test uh, that really can impact a plan is called top-heavy. And a top-heavy test is when 60% of the, of the plan assets are in favor of key employees, which are generally going to be business owners, but it can be officers as well of the, of the organization. If 60% of the, favor, of the assets are in favor of key employees, the plan is considered top-heavy. Now, a plan is top-heavy, there's not really any penalty for that, but unlike the ADP test, if you fill the ADP test, you can take money out of the plan in order to satisfy the test for a top heavy uh, a plan, you have to put money in on behalf of the non-key employees to fix that. And it can be up to a 3% contribution on whatever compensation the non-key employees have. So it can be a significant contribution if you're not aware of it. Uh, so those, those are the two big tests that people know about. Uh, the other ones are just, you know, limits, making sure you don't exceed the 402G limit, for example, which is the 19,000 is the maximum you can put in out of your paycheck or 100% of your income, whichever is, is less, um, to, to a plan. So you're making sure you're not exceeding any of the IRS limits that go into a qualified plan. The other big things you know, that we see a lot of errors in uh, is one, not submitting contributions on a timely basis. You know, they need to be into the, once you withhold money from uh, plan, plan participants' uh, um, wages, they have to be within, in the trust within seven business days. And that's one that gets missed a lot um, that has to be corrected. Um, the other one is, you know, not letting people participate on a timely basis. So they, they're eligible to enter the plan, 
uh, on July 1st, for example, but um, you don't offer it to them, and it's October 1st, and you realize, oh, Larry, I didn't tell you you're eligible for the 401k plan. Well, they have a missed salary deferral opportunity from July 1st to October 1st because you didn't offer it, offer that to them. So that's another corrective thing. So there's little operational things that have to be looked at um, on a yearly basis. Uh, required minimum dis- distributions, making sure that they're being processed uh, timely. Uh, another thing is when participants... Um, are terminated and they have balances less than $5,000. If, if it's written into the document appropriately, those are force outs that need to be done on an annual basis as well. So those are all things that a quality TPA is going to look for on an ongoing basis and, and also help educate the plan sponsors to avoid those errors um, each year as well or on an ongoing basis. Uh, that's a good segue into, you know, you know, the plan sponsors and, and what is some of their responsibilities uh, and, you know, one of the things that some people don't know as plan sponsors is that they may be considered a fiduciary and have um, certain requirements. You know, what are, what are some of those requirements as a fiduciary? Yeah, well, basically, you know, every plan sponsor that, uh, uh, that sponsors a plan is absolutely a fiduciary. And there's a lot of, you know, noise out in the marketplace saying, well, you can hire a 316 plan administrator or, you know, you can hire a 338 investment advisor and they're going to take the fiduciary, you know, liability off of you. And that's just 100% absolutely false. Uh, no matter what a plan sponsor does, there's no way that they can relieve themselves of all fiduciary liability uh, because they, regardless, have the responsibility if they're hiring a 338 advisor, if they're hiring a 316 plan administrator, they're still responsible to monitor those providers to make sure that they're providing the services that they said that they were going to provide, making sure that they're doing it at a fair price, um, which we can talk about price here in a few minutes as well. But ultimately, a fiduciary just, is just what it is. You always has to act in the best interest of the plan participants, regardless of how it impacts them. And so every decision that they make for that plan, they have to do it in the sense that they're taking care of each of those eligible plan participants as well as their beneficiaries. That's what has to motivate their decision-making process, whether they're hiring someone, monitoring them, uh, what investments they're making av- available to the, you know, that has to be based on what's best for the participants, not what's best for you as the plan sponsor or business owner. Yeah. So, you know, so we do act as a 338, but again, you know, we tell the plan sponsors that they're, they're not eliminating their all their responsibilities as a uh, as as a fiduciary and uh, a lot of plan sponsors don't even aware that they have the fiduciary responsibility right that's scary right <laughs> yeah, very very scary so so you know so it is again it, it is important that you ha- hire the right you know investment advisor the record keeper and the TPA to make sure that everything everything works the way it's supposed to work so uh, so you don't have to worry about things going wrong uh-huh. Yeah, which is a nice segue. I mentioned kind of like fees, and it, there's been so much uh, fee compression in this industry, and so mm-hmm. much focus on fees, and um, you know, looking at cost. And so many plan sponsors are are looking solely at fees when they're hiring a service provider, and they need to understand that it's a fiduciary breach if you are just selecting service providers based on fees. You have to take into account the services that they are providing in order to make a good decision on behalf of those participants that you are sponsoring this plan for. And so fees are important, absolutely. But to just look at fees alone and not compare it to the services that are being provided is a fiduciary breach. And so I think there needs to be more education on understanding what the service models uh, are available 
for the TPAs, the record keepers, investment advisors, and not just focusing on, hey, what's your price? Yeah, unfortunately, plan sponsors don't realize that until it's too too late. You know, we we've had scenarios where, uh, I don't want to really name the firm, but a, a payroll provider has been providing a bundled four hundred one k service, and all of a sudden, two years later, they're getting an IRS letter for things that weren't done right, uh, and they went with this payroll provider because of ease ease of use and cost of plans. And now they're stuck with a whole big mess because they didn't have the right um, education and the right people providing services for them. So you make a great point there about the you know low cost isn't is not necessarily the best. Yeah, and and, and even beyond that is everyone has a different fee philosophy. So for example, I'll just take TPAs um, because that's what I work with. <laughs> Some TPAs are going to do more all-in pricing, right? So they're going to have a base fee, a per-head fee. They're not going to bill for a, a, a lot of extras that may be involved each year, um, whether it be corrections or different government reporting that has to be done. They're just going to do an all-in all in fee schedule. And generally what happens in those situations is that you have, because there's only going to be about 20% of your plans that are going to need extra work on an ongoing basis each year. Uh, that have some type of correction, they have to file some other government form, that form like the Form 8955, whatever it may be. So what happens is that you have 80% of your plan subsidizing the 20% that, that are actually utilizing those services. Um, there are other TPAs out there. Uh, DWC is one of them. Our philosophy is that everyone should pay, pay a base fee for all services that are required on an annual basis that you have to do uh, based on what the IRS and, and Department of Labor has outlined. And then only bill extra for the plans that utilize those extra services. For example, late, late deferral deposits, um, missed deferral opportunities, uh, a, a Form 5500 extension because you're not getting your Form 5500 um, filed on a timely basis. Little things like that um, you know, really can make it competitive for, for the plan sponsors that really operate their plan efficiently uh, each year versus subsidizing the cost for plans that aren't. Great. You know, why don't we wrap, wrap up, you know, one more question. You know, we, we've talked about all, all the different parts, the, the record keeper, the TPAs, the investment advisors. So what would you say, you know, what kind of due diligence should they, so a plan sponsor be completing on each one of these areas? Well, it's obviously different for each, each service provider. And we actually have developed a checklist uh, for plan sponsors to use to vet their record keeper, their investment advisors, as well as their TPA, what questions you should be asking. You know, a lot of it is about, you know, what's their service timeframe? What are their service guarantees? Uh, what are their fees? How are, are they paid? Are they paid direct? Do they receive indirect compensation, which is a big in our industry as well? Um, what's the experience of the people that are, 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 are going to be working on your plan? You know, how many plans do they have? You know, all those basic things that you think seem like pretty common questions and easy questions to, to come up, up with, but most people are not doing that. They're strictly asking, you know, what's your fee schedule? And so um, we've created that, that checklist that plan sponsors or advisors, right? a lot of advisors use this to help vet their, their vendor partners on what they're going to present to their plan sponsors. Because ultimately, you know, for, for us, for example, we're not a producing TPA and we don't work direct with plan sponsors. We exclusively sell through advisors, which is, there are other TPAs are the same way as well. But so we want to arm our advisors with much information as possible so they can educate 
themselves as well as their plan sponsors on who they should be selecting, why, and what they have done to vet those providers or those vendors for their plan sponsors. It's a real big value add for those advisors that are doing that. And, and Larry, obviously you're one of them. So, you know, there's a checklist, there's multiple questions that should be asked. And those are things that we can share um, with our plan sponsors that are interested. Um, but there's multiple questions and it's different for each vendor. Great. So, you know, so if anybody wants those checklists or, you know, want to talk to Doug, you know, you know, more, you know, so Doug, you know, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you'd like to reach out to Doug, he's currently at DWC, the 401k experts. You can visit their website at www.dwc401k.com or feel free to call them at 651-204-2600. This has been great, Doug. Thank you for uh, participating. Yeah, thanks for having me, Larry. I appreciate it. Guys, thanks so much. This was very educational and I appreciate you giving the contact info because I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there with lots of questions. And again, thank you all for listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and coworkers. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.